Good morning, everyone. My name is Don. It's so good to be with you again after haven't seen you for a couple weeks and um, glad to jump into this series called The Patient. And I think when you, got, when you came in, you got a little card like this, a little prescription card. I'd like you to take that out with, with uh, maybe a, even a little pen. And if you haven't filled those blanks in yet, I'd like you to fill the very first sentence in just to begin with. We are broken. First, we are broken. Trusting that Christ alone can make us whole. We are broken trusting that Christ alone can make us whole. W-H-O-L-E. We freely admit our brokenness and we place our lives in his hands. If you happen to go to sleep tonight, today, um, hang on to that. That's really what it's all about. And today we're going to look at a verse of scripture that uses an analogy which is really pretty easy to understand. You don't need a lot of explanation. It deals with a potter and a pottery. An, an old, old um, way of looking at things, but one that's very current because we all are potters in one way or the other. We've all experienced being a potter somewhere. Maybe when you were growing up it was making mud pies. Anybody, did they have mud in, in Phoenix? I don't know if there's a possibility for mud, but elsewhere, mud, mud pies. Or surely somewhere along the line, you probably had a bigger canister than this of Play-Doh. Any Play-Doh people out there? Play-Doh, originally Play-Doh was um, a wallpaper cleaner. And you ate it. You, ate, you were eating this stuff. It's a wallpaper cleaner, and they decided finally it's kind of fun. And they, when I was, oh, I'm so old that it was gray to begin with, but now they got all kinds of colors. And not only for children, but for adults, you know, therapy for adults, just because you can, you, if nothing else, you can sit around just squeezing it, which feels kind of fun. But you can always make a little things, depending on how artistic you are. And you, you understand what it is to be a potter because you have this little bit of Play Doh, and it'll do whatever you want it to do. I personally am an expert in snakes. <laughs> I can, that's kind of a fat one, but I could work on that, make that head come out to be triangular, which is poisonous, and a little rattle and coil it and all that kind of thing. And if you don't like my snake, I just, I, one of my favorites is just to do a face, put a nose in there, mouth, and then I don't know if you can see that, but it talks. Hello. And if the nose, if it needs a nose job, I just, Start all over again because I didn't do that great of a job. Play-Doh is an amazing thing. Maybe you had graduated from Play-Doh somewhere along the line in middle school, junior high, high school, into an art class and took ceramics or something like that. Anybody do that? You have a ceramics class where you're introduced to clay, the real thing, and a wheel. And you, you could make anything you want. My specialty was ashtrays. <laughs> Even though no one in my family smoked, that's about all I could get to work was an, an ashtray. We, we understand what it's like to be a potter and to work with clay. And God wants to teach Jeremiah this story so that he could tell Israel this story so that we could read about it and to make a difference in our lives today. So if you have your Bibles up on the screen, the 18th chapter of Jeremiah is where we're going to be today. And in verse 1, 
it says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you a message. Kind of interesting because usually he gives Jeremiah a message and sends him somewhere to give it. But this time he wants Jeremiah to get him, to receive the message. And so go down to the potter's house and listen, Jeremiah. I want you to hear this message. So I went down to the potter's house. And I saw him, the potter, working at the wheel. Now, I don't know how long he watched the potter do this. It's, it's a pretty fascinating thing if you ever get a chance to watch a potter work. I mean, his, his or her attention is completely on that, on that clay and that wheel, and they're, they're, they're fashioning and folding. And they're, in those days, especially with their own leg, they're keeping the wheel going around. And it's, it's, it's an intense thing. And, and they can even, after a while, turn around and look at you and talk, but they're, they're, they're still focused in on with their hands, and as long as their hands are on that clay, some amazing things are happening as they put it together. So he's watching this on the wheel, and verse four says, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. And then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does? Like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Like the clay in the hand of the potter, so you are, O house of Israel. So you are, O house of Mountain Park. So you are, but your name, like clay in the hands of a potter. So real briefly, it's not hard to, to figure out. You don't, even have to, you don't even have to be trained in preaching to figure out three points here. There's the potter, there's the clay, and there's the wheel. The potter is God. The potter is, is the one who, who creates and, and fashions this whole thing. And, it, and it's God. And it's important in our, our lesson today because if we're going to be diagnosed, if we're going to be trusting of someone as a doctor figure, as a potter figure, it's good to know he's God. And I, I hearken all the way back to Genesis when it, it says God took the dust of the earth and fashioned that first human being, Adam, and, and made a body out of him and then breathed life into him. It's like this theme goes all throughout scripture. Jeremiah, when he begins this, this book, the very first chapter of Jeremiah, he says, God, you formed me in, in my mother's womb, formed like clay in my mother's womb. And if that doesn't blow your mind, he said, before you formed me, you knew me. Before you formed me in my mother's womb, you knew me. I mean, you start to understand this potter has a, has an unbelievable understanding of, of us, of humanity, and he has a grand plan, he has an agenda, he has a purpose, he has life for us before he even takes us to the wheel to, for, to form and fashion us. He's thinking about us, he knows us. And as we'll see later on, Paul in his writing says, you're, you're like the, the best workmanship of God 
You're his handiwork. You're his masterpiece. He forms you and makes you. He recreates you, in Paul's case, through Jesus Christ. The potter. The potter knows you. The potter made you. He fashioned you. He's intensely aware of you. He's interested in you. He, he sees potential in you. He is so enamored with you that you can't even get your mind around it. And he, he demonstrates with Israel, I'll never abandon you. And I want you to know this morning, he will never abandon you. Facebook is kind of a big deal right now. There's a lot of controversy going on. I don't understand it all. I, I go on there to brag about my grandkids and then get off. You know, that's about, so I don't know. I don't understand all the ramifications, but I started reading a little bit about it. Got started years ago by Mark um, Zuckerberg. Is that his name? Whatever his name is. He went to Harvard and he traveled all across the country to the Silicon Valley in California. Got into this house about 30 miles south of San Francisco. Started this new app that he was working on and was so excited about it. Got a half a million dollars in donations to make it happen. And in the first year of this thing called Facebook, one of the software companies came up to him and, and offered him $1 billion to buy it. And he said, no thanks. A second year, an even more popular and well-known software company came up to him and offered billions and billions and billions, so much so that he personally would have profited $4 billion if he would have given it to him and walked away. $4 billion. And he said, no thanks. I'm pretty sure I would have taken the first billion. It would take me like all weekend to figure out how to sell, to, to spend the, the four billion. He walked away from it. Why? Because this was his baby. This is something he developed, he created, he fashioned. He, would, he had yet to see the fulfillment of it and the potential of it. And, and, and he, he, there, there was no way anybody could, there, you couldn't put a price tag on what this meant to him. If you're a parent, you know what that's like. How much would you sell your child for? When they're teenagers, about $5.95, but <laughs> when they're a baby, you wouldn't take anything for them. A billion dollars for it. They're priceless. How can you ever do And when God fashions us, he has that same attitude. That's how interesting, that's how much I love you. The psalmist talks about how, how he can't believe that God thinks of him. God, the omnipotent God, thinks of me. The whole 139th psalm is, no matter where I am, I can be the heights of heaven, I may be the low depths of, of the grave, I can be anywhere. You, before I even say a word, you know what's on my thoughts. You, you see me, you know me, you think of me. And he says, my, I can't get my mind around this. Your thoughts are like the sands of the sea. Wow. God thinks that much about us. He's the potter. So when we say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna recognize God as the one who, who diagnoses and who heals me and who makes a difference in my life, this is a God who can, who can very well be trusted. He has credentials to do that. Then there's the clay. The clay is the house of Israel in this passage of scripture, which is us people of God, you and me, the clay. And I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but 
in its native state, clay is not really that valuable. It's not worth much. It's almost worthless. It's like dirt. You sell dirt, you sell clay by the ton. You, <laughs> you, can, get, you can get hunks and hunks and hunks because there's just so much of it. There's dirt everywhere. There's clay everywhere. It's, it's not that valuable in and of itself. But put into the hands of a potter, of a designer, it goes from almost worthless to almost priceless in the hands of, of, a, of a Michelangelo, in the hands of a potter who knows what he's doing. And that clay is like you and me. We, we think pretty highly of ourselves, but when it gets right down to it, our value is nothing compared to what our value can be in the hands of the potter. Then there's a wheel that spins round and round and round and round. It's guided and directed by the potter. His foot keeps the speed going. It can speed up, it can slow down. He can stop it if he wants. That wheel is the circumstance of life. It's life's circumstances. This is what happens to us. You think your life just kind of goes on, no, 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 and this happens and that happens, bad stuff happens, good stuff happens, I like the good, I don't like the bad, I don't understand this, that, and I don't know why he would do that, and I don't know why God would allow that. And the whole time God is saying, in my hands, on this wheel of life, everything that's happening to you, here's my promise, I'm gonna make it to your good and to my glory. I'm gonna use it to develop you, to form you. I've got this great imagination of what I think you can be and all the circumstances of life in my hands, in my direction, is what's gonna shape that and mold that. And if it gets marred, if, it, if there's a lump or two in there, if it gets kind of hardened, I'll just keep working with you. I may start over, I may pat it back together, and, but I, I'm, I'm not going to abandon it. In fact, I'm going to use all those things to make it the most useful, valuable, and beautiful piece of, of, of property I possibly can. The potter, the clay, the wheel. So what are the implications of this for our life? There's a couple I want you to think about for, for just a few moments. And I want you to, if you want to write down on your prescription card so that it's there, because when I'm done... We're going to sing a song, and then Jan is actually going to come up and, and give you an update on some church stuff. So I want you to be aware of that. So write it down so that when you're so inspired from Jan giving you an update on church stuff, you won't forget it. Okay. Here's the first thing that I think is a huge implication for us. He is, and we are not. We're not. He is, we're not. He is the potter, we are the clay. He's the doctor, we're the patient. He's the creator, we're the creation. He's God, we're not. He's sovereign and in control, we're not. He is, we're not. You got that? Can you shake your head? We got that? He is... We're not. That's good news and it's bad news for some of us. The bad news is because he's sovereign and we're not, 
we think we're sovereign. We think we're in control. We think we have the best plans and the best thoughts and the best values and the best way to go and our ways are better than anything else if we, because we've been educated and we've been, we've been brought up in a certain way and our experience shows one thing and our track record shows. We think we've got it all down and under control and when we find out all of a sudden that we are not the one in sovereign, that's sovereign, it's, it's a rude awakening but because he's sovereign and we're not, when those cross, when they, when they conflict, Something's going to get broken. Something's going to get broken. It's not going to end well when his sovereignty and our will come at loggerheads. No matter how much you think the truth is that you're in control and you're sovereign over your own life, you're a self-made person and you control it, no matter how much you believe that, I hate to tell you this, it's just not true. When I was a kid growing up, grew up in Southern California, home of the Los Angeles Dodgers, by the way, but, <laughs> and uh, it's like endless summers in, in Southern California, and we would play until, in those days, either the street lights came on or mom would call us to, to dinner, and uh, it was a lot simpler life back then, but there were three guardians of the neighborhood in my, my little grow, growing up life. There was Marvin lived across the street from me. Byron just lived down the road and myself. We were the guardians of the neighborhood. We were superheroes. We would take clothespins, I don't know if anybody remembers those clothespins, and we'd, we'd clip capes on us, towels or whatever, and we were superheroes. And we, we fought off evil and threats and foes for day in and day out. In my yard, we had a, a bunch of um, orange trees, large orange trees, <clears throat> And we would climb up one of the orange trees, and off that, if you'd kind of shimmy over on the branch, you could get on our flat roof garage, which is not like the garages you have, we have out here in, in Phoenix where they're like 80, 80 feet up in the air. It's like, you know, eight feet up. And, and that flat roof was our refuge and our fort. And we would stay up there. We would eat oranges, and we would rest up from all the battles that we had. <laughs> And then we'd wait to be called again. And as soon as we recognized there was a need down that orange tree, we would, we would go and off we would go to save the neighborhood again. And from that garage, we could see the whole world. And you would wait until you saw a threat. One day, Marvin said, we're superheroes. Yes, we are, Marvin. We shouldn't have to shimmy down the tree. We can fly. And Byron and myself, neither, neither one of us contradicted him. Yeah, Marvin. We had enough caution to say, Marvin, you go first. <laughs> and so Marvin did. And I thought maybe we'd sit there at the edge of the, of the roof with our feet dangling and then jump. Marvin, he believed he could fly. He ran full speed, launched like Superman off that garage. Now, I'm not sure where in that journey he'd realized that, no, I can't fly. <laughs> this, this cape is defective. But somewhere along the line, he curled up just enough when he hit the ground, he only broke one bone, which is not as many bones as got broken in me that, that evening when my dad came home. 
got the belt out. <laughs> what are you doing jumping? Marvin thought we could fly. It wasn't, I hope I can fly, maybe I can, I can fly. It doesn't matter how much Marvin believed he could fly. The law of gravity won out. It doesn't matter how sovereign we want to believe we are, how convinced we are that we've got this all under control. God's sovereign. And when those contradict, those two things contradict, it doesn't work. Something gets broken. Israel was a perfect example of that. Over and over and over again. Our culture, perfect example of broken people that go contradictory to God's will. I imagine in this church, a lot of people, myself could include that, I've been broken, trying to do it myself in my own will. The bad news is when God's sovereign, we're not. The good news is when God's sovereign and we're in his hands, he is in control of everything so that whatever comes, He's going to work it for our purposes, for his purposes and for our good. That's his, that's his promise to us. Whatever comes when we're in his hand, no matter how broken we may be, how marred we might be, how scuffed we might be, he's going to make it good. And he's going to get glory out of it. So he is and we're not. Lesson one. He's the doctor, we're the patient. So the second part, implication I think is that is that we are the patient, but he is patient. We are the patient, but he is patient. He is so patient. One uh, old-time writer looks at this chapter in Jeremiah and says, it's a memorial to patience to watch the potter work the clay. The potter is so patient with that clay, working it for its grand design to make it what he intends it to be. What I love about this writer, which I've never thought of, goes, God's never quite finished with us either. The potter's never quite done with us, in this case with God. With new challenges, he gives us new gifts and new giftings. I love that. So that it's never he just, okay, you're done, put you off the side. No, for every new challenge, he's still working some new gifts in us. Even when marred, even when marred, he doesn't throw the, the clay away. He reworks it, refashions it, takes the lumps out, works on that, on that hardened, stiffened clay or whatever it needs to do to make it pliable again to accomplish what he wants. He's so patient. He's so patient with you and me. On the wheel of life and all the things that happen, there are times when I want to fling myself off the wheel. I want to get as far away from the hand of God as I can. I think he's out to hurt me. I think he doesn't understand me. I think what's going on is beyond him. And he's so patient. that even when there's another lump that comes up, even when there's more stiffness of my heart and hardness of my heart, he still works and works and works me to help me become what he wants me to become. So glad he's patient. On your prescription card, there's a couple things that we're encouraging you to do. One is to, to go and listen on YouTube to the song that DeAndre and the group just sang, Run to the Father. Run to that, run to that potter. He's the one that, he's in control. We're not, run to him. I love that little, little phrase in there. My, my heart needs a surgeon 
My soul needs a friend. That's the potter. The other thing that we're asking you to do is to complete the journal for this week. I think it starts on page 75. Every, every day is, is great dealing with the potter, but there are two things. One at the end, there's these group questions that talk about how he, he's, he, he makes us fruitful by being hooked into the vine, that we abide into the vine. But the one I really like is on Wednesday, it talks about from Ephesians 2.10 that he makes us his workmanship. He makes us his handiwork through Christ. Christ makes us his handiwork. We, when we think about this, when I'm marred, he doesn't quit working on me. But here's the interesting thing about potters. Um, if they don't correct the, the pottery at the time, if they don't take out the lumps or if there's a place that they, that they aren't able to make pliable, sometimes potters don't know that it's a defective vessel until it's fired in the kiln. And then it's too late. And then whatever vessel that is, is cracked or broken and it's no longer usable. And the value goes down. And so what potters often do is take that and just throw it in the field next door. It's called the potter's field. Just throw the broken pieces away. In fact, if you go to chapter 19 of Jeremiah, the potter has to do that with some broken pieces. And, and Jeremiah is saying, you, you don't straighten up Israel, you know, you can get thrown out. The potter's field is an interesting thing to me because when I think about the New Testament, when Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, when Judas realized what he had done, he went back to the, the religious leaders that had paid him off to, to betray Jesus. And he threw the 30 pieces of silver at the feet and said, this is, I have no, I have no reason to, I'm, he's recanting of what he, wanted, of what he did. And, and they said, too, too late, too bad. Too bad. No, coins. When he said, no, it's your problem. And out he went. And they picked up those coins and they tried, what do we do with these 30 pieces of silver? This is blood money. This is blood money. This is the blood of Jesus. We can't put it back in the treasury. And they decided to do an interesting thing. They decided to buy some land with it. And there was a potter's field available and for 30 pieces of silver they bought the potter's field with the blood money of Jesus and they buried people that were too poor to pay for their own burials in these potter's fields this potter's field of broken pieces thrown away pieces discarded pieces useless pieces pieces that no one had any business for was purchased by the blood money of Jesus Christ. How patient is God with us? I'll tell you how patient. When we're on the wheel and he's molding us and mending us, if we're marred or we're lumpy or we're getting hardened, he'll, he'll rework us until he fashions us like he wants us. But some of us have gone so far, so far down the road that that we're just broken pieces. We're useless. We're discarded. We think no one wants, to, especially God, wants anything to do with us anymore. 
We're beyond redemption. We're beyond use. We're beyond help. We're beyond hope. And the New Testament is all about people that are so broken. Jesus comes and renews them and restores them and recreates them and makes them beautiful and useful and valuable again because of his blood. When Paul talks about us being a great workmanship of the Lord in Ephesians 2.10, that follows Ephesians 2.9 that says, by grace are we saved through faith, not of our own works. We don't deserve it. It's, it's something that, that's just a free gift of God. Don't just sweep that under the rug because you've heard it so much. For Jesus to come and reclaim a field of broken potters, pottery, broken people, discarded people, is nothing less than a miracle. Because by human hands, no one could put all those pieces back together. But by his hand, by the, the gift that he gives, it is a miracle of new life, of redemption, of salvation. That's how patient God is. When everything else seems hopeless, he still has hope for us through Jesus. So the last implication is this. Three words. Admit, trust, surrender. Remember those words you filled in on those, those notes? We freely admit our brokenness. Here's what I know about Mountain Park, as much as I've been around it. If you're broken, this is a great place for you. This is, this is what's been in the DNA of Mountain Park from the very beginning. Every time you walk in, you may not even recognize or realize anymore, there are broken pieces of sidewalk on the lines coming in that just, recommend, that just re recognize that this is a place broken people come in. You don't have to stay broken, but if you're broken, you're welcome here. And if you're broken, there are places and, and things and people that you can get involved with that you're going to get to know the great potter who will help put you together. And whether it's through some of the Hope Ministries or through Marriage Mondays or through some of the small groups that you have or through just conversations with one another, it's a great place for broken. It, it's okay to be broken. It's okay to be marred. It's okay to not be perfect. That's why Jesus came and that's why this church exists. It's okay to admit it. Trust that you're going to trust the potter, the one who created you out of nothing, formed you, fashioned you, knew you before you were even formed and fashioned, and is intensely aware of you and intensely interested in you and never gives up on you. Keeping at it. You can trust him. On your little notes that you have, that we, we trust completely that Christ alone can make us whole. I trust him. I, I recognize he's my help and my hope. And then surrender. The analogy of clay breaks down here because clay has no will. We have will. We have free will. And surrender means you use your free will to surrender. 
You use your free will to say, of everything I've got going, this much I know. God's ways are better than my ways, higher than my ways, my thinking. His life, his purpose, his design for me is more than I can ever imagine. As long as I'm going against it, I keep getting broken, I keep getting marred, but I surrender. I'm going to surrender to the potter. It's like when you're going under surgery and you just say, anesthesia, don't really want to do this, but I'm counting backwards from 100. I'm going out. Do what you need to do. Admit you need him. Trust him. Surrender. Let go. I wonder on your prescription card if maybe you would just jot that, that down. What, what would you admit to? Are you, are, you, are you broken and you're laying in a field and feeling discarded? What's that brokenness look like? Write that down. Maybe, maybe you've been following God and you're walking with him, but you're, you're just, you have this sense that you're marred, that your heart's not as pliable as it once was. That through some pain or some hurt or, or just circumstances of life, and you think God's done with you. You think God's not going to want It's just the opposite. Admit, I'm marred today. And I'm going to trust. You might write down there, I, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you to make me whole. I, and I give you my life for you to do whatever you want to do. If that's, if that's what you are and what you've done, I'd like you just to bow your head with me. And I'd like us just to give that to God at this time. With our heads bowed, if, if, you, if you admitted to some of that brokenness and marring your trusting Jesus... Do you just take a second and just raise your hand and let me, let me see. Hey, I, there's a lot of hands. Yeah. Lord Jesus, you see these hands. I thank you for, for us being able to be at a place that we're vulnerable enough to say we need you so much. Thank you for coming for people like us, not perfect. Thank you for being the great physician. Thank you for doing surgery on our heart this morning, and thank you for being a friend to our soul. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen.